going great, and then all of a sudden you hit a day where you're discouraged, and you lose heart, and you quit doing the things that are right and are best, and the things that lead to just life-giving stuff, because you're physically and you're emotionally tired. You just got tired. And so you just kind of drop the ball for a little bit. You know, it's so funny how we do that. You know, we used to go, I, I, I have an outdoor recreation minor, so did a lot of backpacking in my day. And I can remember the people that were first mentoring me as we went up to altitude, and we were in backpacks, and we're all hiking. We've got our backpacks. You know, you get up there, there, it isn't long before you start getting really tired. What happens when you're really tired? You start so excited in your trip, you're looking around, you're loving the beauty, but when you're tired, your, your eyes go down. And you know what? Our, our leader would always say, we didn't come up here to look at butts and heels. So get your head up. Everyone stop, look up, and look around. Did you notice how beautiful this is? And it would be breathtaking. But because we were tired, no, I noticed what their heels look like. You know, I was following their, their um, sleeping bag kind of rocking to their hips. And you get mesmerized, and you get lost because you're tired. We all get tired. We all get overwhelmed at times for, for the, from the lack of progress in our lives. Somebody want to say amen to that? You feel like you just keep working at it, you keep beating your head against the wall, and you're not making the kind of progress you want. You're frustrated by nagging problems or nagging injuries. And they just continue on. And all this just compounds. And so it's important that in these wearisome times, it's important to, to do some things. There are practical things we all need to do, like get some rest. You know, do that if you're not, if you haven't been getting rest. Turn the TV off, turn, put the phone down, get some rest. Also, get something good to eat. Get good nourishment, get good hydration. And then get the appropriate help and therapy you might need to rehabilitate an injury or a wound, whether it's emotional or physical. Get that help you need to be rehabilitated back to health. Don't just let it kind of go off and go on. And then take time to gain a renewed perspective from the history you've had. We always need to learn from our history, and sometimes we've got to keep looking back. Because we have, I, I venture to say, none of us have learned all the lessons that God's had for us in our history. So, you don't want to get lost in your history. You don't want to keep looking back, but you want to keep visiting it to learn, do I need a new perspective? Look at your present circumstances. Look at how God is speaking all around you. Look at what your circumstances are telling you. And then consider <coughs> your future goals. Consider the future realities that God is leading you and me to. And we do this best in worship. We really do. We have been called to worship God. That means we've been called to adore him and to say back to him and to recognize his beauty, to recognize his greatness, to recognize his goodness. We've been called to keep that picture in our minds, and we're called to do it daily, to worship. We're called to do that. We're called to worship in the moment of injury because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and I'm an ever-present help in time of need. We need to worship. 
We need to worship in the wearisome, tiresome day. We need to worship in the hard season of our lives, and some of us are in hard seasons of life where we're changing. Golly. I hate getting old. Somebody want to say amen to that? Come on. I, I've, I've struggled with it, but I'm getting over that. I'm here to tell you, I am getting over it. Because, and the only way I'm getting over it is because of worship. Because of worship. We're to worship, and not just any worship, right? It's, the, it's not the worship of routine and the worship of duty. Some of us have that down real well. We know how to have the daily time in our Bible or whatever our little reading, and then our journal, and, then, and we kind of go through it, and then we check the box, and we're done. I'm not talking about that. Worship with joy. Worship with honor. Worship with awe. Those words ought to be a part of our worship. Joy, honor, awe. The original recipients of the book of Hebrews, they were believers just like us. They were susceptible to the same things that we are. They could misplace, and they probably were misplacing their spiritual priorities and their <coughs> life priorities over and over again. They were, they were good for a while, and then they'd get off and get it wrong for a while, just like we do. They were constantly getting tangled up in things that hinder and the sin that's so easily entangled and keeps us from God's blessing and from his will. And they were prone to discouragement and prone to wander in their faith. We are like sheep, the Bible says. And so, just like them, we are like them, and, and we wander at times. That's why our, our author in Hebrews, that's why he took such great pains in chapter 11 of Hebrews to give us this exhaustive list of people of faith. Because he's trying to say, Look at these people. Go back to these people. Learn from these people. Never forget these people. They'll keep speaking to you for the rest of your life. So here's this list. Get on it. They're going to be encouragement for your present and for your future. Get on it and stay with it. And so he throws us all these people to inspire our faith. And then in the first three verses of chapter 12, he gives us a vision and framework for the rest of our lives. How we are to live as Jesus, fixing our eyes on him and walking the course he's laid out for us. Not the one we tell him to bless, but the one we realize he's giving us and we're following as we submit to him. And then the author gives us all these priorities after the first three verses. <clears throat> and remember, they were see to it priorities. See to it that you do these things, remember? And they, they follow us for the rest of the chapter. And these things will ensure that we really live the blessed life that God intends. And so this morning we come to one final priority. One final one. And it's a great one. In Hebrews 12, 18 through 29. And in that, the author and preacher will exhort us. He'll exhort us to make every effort if you do nothing else, make every effort to worship God in joy, in honor, and in awe. Make every effort to worship God, to put him first, to make him your treasure, to make his way, his will, the most important thing about your life, to worship him in joy, honor and awe. Those are important words. Enjoy. 
honor and awe. And so if you've got a Bible, we're going to be turning to it, but here's the first thing that we have to do if we're going to worship God in joy, honor, and awe. The first thing we have to do, and it's the first point on our outline, you have to know who you're coming to daily in worship. Because I think because we have such a foggy notion of who God is, therefore we have a foggy sense of worship. It's just kind of gray to us. And so this is, if you've got a Bible, you can read with me starting in verse 18. We're going to work through this passage a little at a time as we make these points. And so let's start in verse 18. (coughs) And this author is alluding, excuse me, is alluding to something in the past. And I'll tune you into what that is, and some of you probably already know. Starting in verse 18. You have not come, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire. He's having you, he's giving you a picture, a metaphor. He's having you look back. These were Hebrew believers. They began to understand what he was talking about. There's a certain mountain that was burning with fire, and and we'll fit this description. He says, you have not come to this mountain burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was being commanded. Even if an animal touches this mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrible that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. And Moses was the friend of God. I want you to see this mountain. You can't see it real well, can you? But you need to see it in your mind's eye. It was Mount Sinai. It was the mountain, it was an important mountain in in the history of God's people, wasn't it? Very, very important. Because it was the place where the Ten Commandments was was given to God's people, and it was a place of burning and thunder and trumpets blaring. It was crazy. Think of it. Think of what it would have been like to be standing there. Standing in the midst of complete power. See, that's what, God, that's what God's people were going to see, in part, because their sin was not atoned for. Because the holiness of God could not abide with the wickedness and the sinfulness of man. And that's what they were going to see. Exodus 20, 18 through 21, recounts how God's people felt at that time and why <coughs> they felt that way. And I want you to, to read on the board, you can read it, but you can also write this in your note, Exodus 20, 18 through 21. It said, when the people saw the thunder and lightning, and they heard the trumpets, and they saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. Think about that. Feeling that kind of power. Have you ever been in a place, I remember one time I was in a place with 10 to 15,000 men, and you go, we, we don't want any women's voices, but we want to just hear all the men sing right now. Oh my gosh. It's an amazing experience to have 10,000 men singing. It was probably because it was a men's gathering, and so there were women there too, but it was amazing, the power. And it met you, and it caused you to set up straight and to look because it was so powerful. Consider that. That's what they faced. And it says, they, it says that these people trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance 
And they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. They were afraid. They were scared spitless. They didn't want to be that close to the power. They wanted to stay away from the power. And they wanted Moses to speak instead. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. He wants you to always remember this and who he is, how powerful he really is. He doesn't want you to ever forget that. He doesn't. You know, he doesn't want you to ever forget that. Because sometimes we take him for granted. We do. And it says that the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Wow. God was speaking. The people knew exactly who they were coming to on Mount Sinai. And they were trembling with fear and they wanted to keep their distance just like Dorothy, right? And the scarecrow and the cowardly lion wanted to stay away from Oz the first time they met him. The great and powerful Oz. Right? If you've seen The Wizard of Oz. They wanted to stay away as well. You can hardly talk. You can hardly breathe. You want to run, but you can only shake in the presence of the overwhelming power. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that. Sometimes we need a wake-up call. That's God. And that's God when you're separated from him, when the sin had not been atoned for yet. The sacrifice had not been made yet. And so there was no hope for human beings before him. And he gave us the law to teach us how much we were going to sin and how much we could not live righteously and how much we needed him. But that was God. Yet Hebrews, the Hebrews, it told the believers both then and now, but you have not come to this mountain of fear and dread and loss. You've come to another mountain. You have not come to this mountain of fear and dread and loss. But some of us get stuck in that kind of a place with God, where we're still under law, we're still under, we're, we're trying to live the Christian life on our own strength, we're trying to have, have our cake and eat it too and do things our way and have God bless it and put a stamp on it. <coughs> And he's saying, no, you haven't come to that kind of a mountain. You've come to something different. Sure, this mountain that God has shown you, God is powerful. And don't ever forget that. But you've come to a different mountain. What was that mountain? It's Mount Zion. That's where you have come. It's, it's the, 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 the mountain where the city of God is in it. And it's not the physical city of Jerusalem but the heavenly city of Jerusalem that is on Mount Zion. I want you to read verses 23 to 24 as this passage continues. It says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You've come to the church of the firstborn. You know firstborns were blessed, right? And Jesus was the firstborn. You've come to his body. You've come to the church of the firstborn. And you've come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. 
That means if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, your name is written in heaven. And you are coming to a church of people of privilege and of power and of leadership. And it keeps going. You have come to God, the judge of all. He is the judge of all. Period. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Because he has the power to keep his promise and make them perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, different than the one on Sinai, to a new covenant, and to the sprinkling of blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And you know that Abel was Cain's brother. And you remember in the book of Genesis where Abel and Cain, and, and they both brought sacrifices to God, and God accepted one and not the other because the heart of one was right and the heart of the other wasn't. And so Cain got upset and he killed his brother. And his blood spoke. That hit the ground, and that blood spoke, and, and you know what that blood wanted? Justice. I want satisfaction. I want justice. But he says we've come to a better mountain. We've come to a better one. Think about this. When you come before God in worship, what mountain are you coming to? Do you come to Mount Sinai where things are rough and hard and, 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 and there is no grace? There is no forgiveness? There, it's just power and hardness and harshness and judgment? When you come before God, which God are you coming before? Is it the God who is thunder and lightning and loud trumpets and foreboding smoke and judgment and law? Or are you coming before the living God who abides in the heavenly Jerusalem? That's where he abides. Do you come to an assembly full of joy? That's what that assembly is in the new Jerusalem, waiting for you and me who have been forgiven. They are ready to accept us in because our names are written there. Do you come to a promise-keeping God? Do you come to the judge of all who has made the spirits of the righteous complete and right and perfect? Do you come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, a covenant of grace, not be, and to the blood that speaks a better word than Abel's word, which is forgiveness and grace through faith to anyone who would believe? Do you come to that, or do you still come to blood that cries for justice and still feel that condemnation of that need for justice. See, God wanted them to never forget his power, but they did, didn't they? And it didn't keep them from sinning, did it? No. And he knew it wouldn't. They would promise to, to do right and follow him, but he knew they couldn't and they wouldn't. And he knew already ahead of time that he would have to come and bring this new mountain this new grace through his son, Jesus Christ, and so became man. And he came and removed the sin so that we could enter this new mountain, so that we could be with him and be forgiven. Are you coming to and knowing the God daily, this God, in worship? Do you see him? That's the first thing we have to, to deal with is our image of God. What does he look like? <coughs> and what are we coming to? But there's another thing, if we want to worship in joy and in awe and honor, 
We've got to accept God's removal of any shakiness in our life or in our worship. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to accept any shakiness? Let's read in Scripture as it goes on in verse 25. It says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, that was at Mount Sinai, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Wow. Think of that. Think of that. Do you accept God's removal of any shakiness in your life and your worship? Accepting God's word to you as you stay in his word. Do you do that? And as you stay in spirit and prayer and in worship, do you accept it? People, we've got to come back to a revival of God's word. We've got to come back to daily worship before his word. We've got to come and know that this stuff is here. Because we're getting, the evil one is killing and stealing and destroying our lives because we're ignorant. We're ignorant of what the word says. Because we don't read it. We discard it. And so his propaganda and the world's propaganda works on us until it gets us to believe that what is wrong is right, and what is right is, is no longer right, it's wrong. And we don't accept the truth. And we don't accept the fact that the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword, Hebrews says early on, able to divide between our soul and our spirit and our joints and our marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. <coughs> you can't do that. I can't do that. Because my heart's deceitful above all things. I can con myself into any position. But if I said honestly before the word of God and before the Lord in his spirit, he can teach me and speak to me the truth. And he can, he can reveal my con. And he can get me out of it. And he can heal me just as he could heal you. Remember this, what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 25. He said, heaven and earth will pass away. This building will be gone at some point. So let's not put our hope in this place. Amen? Be thankful for it as a tool. Your home will be gone. This earth will be changed. So let's not put our hope in it. I don't care who thinks they have control or power on this planet. They don't. They don't. I mean, come on. For real. They don't. And I know because Scripture says so, but I also know because I've lived some years. They think they do, but they don't. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. How can you trust that statement? That's an absolute statement. You know how you can trust it? Because he rose from the dead. Somebody say amen to that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's right. So whatever Jesus says, it's going to remain. It's going to be true, his word. So don't reject his word. Don't resist his word. Tell God you're sorry that you've, you've given him garbage and you fussed and you resisted and you struggled with him because you just couldn't trust, but now you're going to trust because you're discovering more in his word about him and about his glory and about his power. Let him take away the shakiness. Man, 
some of us are just flaky, right? God bless you. You're just a human being. We all have our flakiness to us. God can make us good, though, and then bless us in our creativeness. I call sometimes flakiness just creativeness, right? You're just creatively created, and you have a creative approach to most everything. That's kind of the most positive way to look at it. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Heaven and earth will pass away. Meditate on that. But my word will never pass away. <laughs> Man, I'm at least 60 years old. No, I'm older than that, but <laughs> I always say that. I've never seen that promise not be true. God does it. You've seen it your whole life. If you and I want to become solid with no shakiness or shadiness in us or in our lives, we've got to receive then the non-shaky kingdom in our heart and life. And that really is our next point. We've got to receive that the non-shaky kingdom in our heart and life. No wobble, no wiggle, no waggle, no quiver, no shudder, no wiggle, no jiggle. Come on. There's a worship song there somewhere. Amen? I know there's got to be. That's what his kingdom does for us. I love how C.S. Lewis describes heaven in his book, and if you haven't read it, you need to. It's called The Great Divorce. Remember, he's British. So it's going to be written a little different than an English writer would write it, even though he is English, right? But, but it's great. It's good. You've got, to, you've got to read it. It's one of those books you just got to read. And in his book, <coughs> he talks about heaven, and he says that heaven is a solid place full of substance. So solid, so much so, that the spirits of the departed, they can't survive there because it's too hard for them. They're wispy, they're spirits. They can't survive there unless they receive a, a new, powerfully solid body, which is their inheritance if they accept heaven and they accept what Jesus did for them. So I'm here to tell you something. This is a metaphor to us of wholeness and integration. God wants you to be whole and integrated. He wants you to keep growing in Christ. He doesn't want you to be emotionally and physically unhealthy although our bodies will waste away, I'm sorry to say. But he wants us to be whole and integrated. Those in heaven are solid. They're real human beings. They're made whole by the Lord of heaven. Man, I was just thinking about some of my loved ones that I love, some of my buddies and some of my family that are no longer with us who died unexpectedly. And just thinking, man, they're good. They're solid. They're whole now. Wow. And so C.S. Lewis depicts this picture, and he says that those in hell are miserable, disintegrated, disintegrated souls. They're ghosts who, who, in living for self, have lived for small things, and they've shriveled up in the process. See, that's where hell takes us, to nothingness and to shriveledness, no life. God's purpose for you and me is to make us real, to make us solid through and through, so that we might have the power to endure all things and the power to live forever. That is the promise of God. We have to receive it. We have to trust it. Where in your life do you have wiggle or jiggle? 
Where in your life do you have quiver or shiver? Where in your life do you have wobble or waggle? Huh? I don't know where I got this. You know, it just kind of hit me. So, you know. So, oh, there we go. <laughs> have you guys seen that movie uh, with Ryan Reynolds in it? What's it called? Uh, he wears a blue shirt. Free guy, yeah. And then you, I'll well, see it's a horrible part, but you got somebody in there trying to do all these dances to him. Every time I say that, I think of that movie. <laughs> um, where in your life do you have that? Trust the Lord to take it out of you, to get that shakiness out, to heal it, to remove it. Worship him to do that. See, before him in worship, that's where we get that. That's where he speaks his word to us. As we submit wholeheartedly to his word and to him in prayer and in worship. And you can have just as valuable a time of worship in your own private worship time as you can here, but you need both. You need both. You need to worship as often as possible. And so receive that non-shaky kingdom because it's just not something you own. You must receive it. And then four, remember our God is a consuming fire. I'm going to say that word again. Remember our God is a consuming fire. That's a word of encouragement to you. That's also a word of warning to you. You get both? That's both. Remember our God is a consuming fire. Hear what the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Wow, yes! Be thankful because God's promises and purposes are going to happen in our lives and we're receiving this kingdom and we're going to be less shaky and wiggly and wobbly and more sure and more sound and more solid and more healthy. Thank the Lord for that. And he's leading us there. And so worship God acceptably with reverence, which is honor, and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. When you and I read through the Old and New Testaments, is there anyone or anything that could ever stop God's love, stop God from saving us, stop God from righting a wrong? Have you ever read one area where God's purpose was stopped? You might have seen places where it looked like it was held up. It might be places where it had to kind of take a detour, but it was never stopped. Not anyone, not anything has stopped his kingdom from moving forward. And his kingdom still moves. For those who will be a part of it and will receive it, who will not reject his word spoken to us, but will get in it, you can step right in it, and you're in that flow. That kingdom is here. It's here now. Here now. God has found a way to destroy the works of the devil. He's found a way to solve the problem of sin in us and the problem of sin in creation. God can do all that and still save us and love us. And he's found a way to do it all. Remember our God is a consuming fire. There is nothing nor anyone who can stand in his way. We sometimes think fires are not that big of a deal, but we've experienced the fires out that we've had the brush fires, haven't we, and how destructive they could be. Maybe you've experienced how, how much a, a home fire could be destructive. 
What about the fires at, in Hawaii, in Maui? Wow, wiped out in moments. They could do nothing. We think we're more modern and we have capabilities. Eh, a consuming fire, that's a tough, that's a tough thing, isn't it? Our God is a consuming fire. We need to not, we've got to always remember that. That makes you step up and set up. If I were to yell, fire! Dude, you'd be awake and moving, especially if you saw it. Right? And so that should give a little pep to our step. Our God is a consuming fire. We need to worship him with that sense of awe and honor and joy. When you and I who follow Jesus look into Jesus' eyes, his powerful eyes, his eyes that we see in Zion, will you see something similar to what the kids in Narnia saw when they looked into Aslan, the lion's eye? I think we have a lion up there. Ooh, you see it. You see something similar. I want you to look into those eyes. You know, when Mr. and Mrs. Beaver were first meeting the kids and, and they were telling the children about Aslan, and if you haven't read that book, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's another one. Got to read it. C.S. Lewis. Read it. Excuse me. I always get Tolkien and Lewis mixed. It is C.S. Lewis. Thank you. You know, it's like Journey and Foreigner. I get them mixed up all the time, too. I don't know which does which. <coughs> I know. It's me. But uh, when Mr. and Mrs. Beaver were first telling the children uh, about Aslan, Lucy responds by saying, you know, I don't think, I, don't, uh, I should think I'd be quite frightened to meet a lion. This big lion. Tell me, is he safe? Is he a safe lion? And what does Mr. Beaver answer? He goes, of course not safe. No, but he's How those who meet Aslan, those who heard his earth-shaking roar, have you ever heard a good low roar of a male lion? Oh, that stirs your soul, right? They know that lion could come over and rip you to shreds in a moment's notice like you were nothing but a fly, right? Without blinking an eye, could do that because of the power Yet when Lucy and others, when you read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, when they look into Aslan's eyes, what does it say? They see. They say they see something that makes them want nothing but him. They want nothing but him. I've learned that. Have you learned that? Because you've worshipped. When you look into his wonderful face, all the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of what? His glory and grace. They do. It burns it away. That consuming fire burns it away. Oh, it's too good. They see a kindness and a tenderness that is fiercely determined to show them love. Your God is fiercely determined to show you love. He's fiercely determined to show you grace. Let him. So when you and I come to God and worship, whether it's daily in our reading our Bibles and daily in prayer or Sunday singing and prayer and the word, I want to leave you with some things to think about. 
Do you know that you're coming before the Lord who is fiercely determined to show you his love? Always know that. Even when you have to repent of sin, even when you feel ashamed for what you have done, he will receive your confession. He will cover you with his blood, and you will be forgiven and restored. 1 John 1, 9 promises that. I had to learn a lot of these verses right off the bat because, boy, I had a lot of bad baggage in the beginning of my walk with the Lord. And you've got to quote those things to yourself. <coughs> He'll forgive you. Do you also know that when you come to the Lord in worship and in your daily Bible reading that he is the judge of all? His word cannot be refused. I'm finding believers that just refuse God's word, just like, eh, his grace is okay. You know, I don't have to really. What? Do you realize the power and do you realize the gravity of rejecting his word? No. You cannot reject his word without great penalty. You may not get it now, but it's on its way. Because you're putting yourself into the hands of the evil one. And you're walking outside of what he plans for you. We cannot be so cavalier and so sloppy with our grace to believe that we can just, eh, no big deal. Don't refuse his word if he's speaking to you. I can't refuse his word if he's speaking to me. I can remember a time when the Lord told me in college, if you want to go back to the way it was before and call your old shots, okay. That's all he had to say. I, I, I was so struck with terror. I said, no, 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 I'm so sorry. Okay, you're Lord. I get it. I'm not Lord. Okay. I think there'll be some people that will appreciate that down the road that I don't think I'm Lord. Yeah. See, you cannot because he is the judge of all. Man, don't refuse it. He will one day shake everything that can be shaken. Keep that in your mind. He will. Everything that can be shaken, he will shake. Even Taylor Swift. Okay. Do you know that the great privilege of this love also carries with it great responsibility? The great privilege of this love carries great responsibilities too. Follow him in that people, because we are his people, and we're a part of the church of the firstborn. We, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. Let's fulfill our responsibilities and not just get, get concerned with always pointing out what we don't have and what's not right. You were never called to be the judge of that. We have one judge, it's Jesus. We're called to take care of our responsibilities and to do God's will to his glory. Let's do that. Do you see God as a consuming fire that will powerfully fulfill his purpose in creation? And he will not stop until he does. He will move forward until he does. Now, that word and this word is both blessed confidence. You should feel really pumped and encouraged and confident. But I'm also here to tell you, this is, for some of you, your final warning. Hear that. That's what this, the author of Hebrews is saying. This is your final warning. So if you got something 
that's wiggling and jiggling, you got something that's quivering and quaking or shaking where you've ref refused and will not get it right, now's the time to do it. I want you to stand with me and let's close in prayer. Now's the time to accept his word, to accept him as Lord and Savior if you haven't. Today is the day of Jesus is speaking to your heart. Do not harden your heart and so reject him.